morning, everyone. So I found this really nice little chart. It uh, depicts the structure of the Canadian government, at least at a federal level. Uh, I was doing some more research on Canada by reading this book, uh, How to Be a Canadian, by the Ferguson brothers. Thought I just might read a little bit for you here. So, <laughs> of course, there's all sorts of good stuff in here. Um, how to eat like a Canadian. How to talk like a Canadian. <laughs> how to watch TV like a Canadian. Um, 12 ways to say I'm sorry. There are different ways. It's amazing how they got 12 out of them. Um, to talk about hockey, of course. I thought I'd share a little bit about hockey, since it's something I like. They actually have all the teams here and their team motto. Ottawa Senators. The Senators were named in honor of Canada's dynamic upper house, whose members are, of course, renowned for their athletic prowess and energetic bursts of speed. <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs. Team motto, winning isn't everything. <laughs> the Leafs are sometimes erroneously referred to as the Maple Laughs, but that would require a certain entertainment value. <laughs> Famous for not quite winning. <laughs> Edmonton Oilers, team motto, we used to be really, really good. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> Big hair, acid wash jeans, and a winning team in Edmonton. Ah, yes, the 80s. <laughs> Last note here, there's also apparently a team in Calgary, but we haven't seen evidence of this for a long, long time. Actual headline, Calgary regains last place. <laughs> <laughs> I could do this all morning, but I should probably stop. Um, there is stuff in here about the government, which is kind of what I'm supposed to be talking about here. Okay, so uh, chapter 14, how the Canadian government works. Okay, so page 185. It doesn't. That's it. <laughs> uh, so apparently, uh, we have a flawed, flawed system of government run by flawed people. And if you think about uh, Peter writing to the people in Asia Minor about the government, things really haven't changed much. It's still flawed. So uh, let's start by taking a look at our text for today and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what he wants us to see so that we can hear what he wants us to hear as we follow Jesus. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the governor, or to the emperor as supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those 
who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So I was curious. I wanted to know how challenging or how easy it would be to find the greeting card with any verse from this passage. I searched the internet. Um, it's hard. <laughs> the closest I could get was Second Peter. There was a, a verse from Second Peter. On Friday, I ran into Darren after youth, and he said, you know, we had a really high-energy uh, service on Easter Sunday, and we're going to have that again. We have a baptism. So, you know, no pressure, Scott, but you've got to keep this going. Well, I'm like, no worries. If there's one thing people are excited about, it's doing what the government tells you to do. So we can keep this energy. We can keep this up. Um, so I wasn't successful with the masks, but over the greeting cards. But then I thought, well, masks. You know, now people are wearing masks all the time, and you can get Bible verses on the masks. And again, I couldn't find any verse from our passage today for the mask. It doesn't seem to be very popular. Uh, I did find one from First Peter chapter two, verse eleven, which is close, um, but not quite what I wanted. Now, speaking of masks, I've got one here, of course, everyone does. Uh, there's lots of opinions about, about these things, so what we should do with them, uh, whether we should even be wearing them, and when, and how to wear them. Some people wear them around their chin, and I think that's doing the job, you know. Um, I always laugh when I'm watching hockey or baseball or, you know, whenever someone's upset at the referee or the umpire or whatever, they take their mask down and start yelling. It's like, that's the time when you're supposed to have the mask on, when you're having actual, you know, close physical contact and you're spitting while you're angry. You know, anyways, it's funny to watch, I guess, but it kind of misses the point. Um, and there's people who, who outright say that this is just wrong. Masks are wrong. It's a form of oppression. And... We should be making a stand of some kind against it. So then I wonder, hmm, is that what we should do? Maybe that is what we should do, make a stand. We'll come back to that one. If we look at our passage, it comes in the second chapter, um, but I just want to remind us of the context here. In the first chapter and a half, Peter goes to great length to explain the way of salvation through Jesus and who we are now. And as he's writing to these Gentile Christians, he uses a lot of Old Testament imagery to explain. This is now who you are. You are the people of God. You are the new Exodus. You are the people of the new covenant. You are living stones. You are the new temple. You are a kingdom of priests. Now that that's out of the way and we understand who we are, Peter then moves on to, well, what does it mean then? How do we actually live? We have to live in this Roman Empire with people in charge who are not following Jesus. 
So what do we do? Well, he starts by using this word submit or be subject to. Some translations have it. And he's trying to clarify our relationship to the government and authority in general. Peter uses this, this command, submit, multiple times. It's not just once. It comes up again and again in the rest of the letter. Submit to the government. Submit to your masters. Submit to your employers. How did Jesus submit? Uh, how does submission work in marriage? Um, young men are supposed to submit to the elders in the church. It seems to be important. I should warn you, if submission isn't really your thing, that's the, you know, certain commands I just skip when I read the Bible, and that's one of them. Uh, if submission isn't your thing, you might have to skip a few sermons because it's going to come up a lot. We're going through the entire book. It's just going to keep coming back. Peter is strongly under the impression that submission is important, essential to Christian living. The word translated submit or be subject to is Greek. It is hupotasso. Hupotasso. And it literally means to place under in an orderly fashion. It was often used in the military. Right? You have a captain and below the captain you have a sergeant. Below the sergeant you have a corporal or whatever. Whatever structure, army, navy, whatever. You have these structures. And it has to be orderly. It has to do with relationships and authority. So I think it would be beneficial if you'll just indulge me and you don't really have a choice. <laughs> You're at my mercy as to what I want to talk about here. Um, we're just going to take a time out. We're going to take a pause from First Peter and investigate how submission, authority, dominion, how all of that is presented in Scripture right from Genesis chapter 1 and all the way through into the New Testament. So how does the Bible present authority, submission, order, and what is God's ideal, and how has that played out? So this is going to feel a little bit fast, maybe, and I wish we had time this morning to go through every single scripture that is referenced. Um, I would encourage you to do that on your own time just to make sure I'm not just making stuff up here, and to see, you know, God's plan. This is a big part of God's plan. So first of all, uh, first point is God created and rules over all. And God's rule is mediated through his image, humanity. We are supposed to take care of his creation as his representatives. How does that play out? Well, humanity rebels and declares independence to define good and evil on their own terms, which turns them down into a spiral down to Babylon. Then we, as we read further, we encounter Egypt. Egypt becomes the first superpower. And they are corrupt, and they are rebellious. And this rebellion is depicted as a failure to acknowledge the God of Israel, Yahweh, as the actual creator and the redeemer. 
As we continue through the Old Testament, we see that the God of Israel is the creator and king, not just of Israel, but of all the nations. And Israel is to hold allegiance to one God alone. And as we know, they failed time and time and time again at maintaining that devotion. So the problem wasn't just them, it was also all the other nations around them would not recognize the true king, and so you have rebellion, and it takes its form in violence and injustice and many other negative things. So the solution God, God comes up with is to appoint a new king, the Messiah. And the new king will bring God's rule over all the nations. And so then God's commission is serve the true God by honoring whatever king is in charge. Doesn't matter who the king is. You honor the king. That's how you serve God. However, if obedience to the king means disloyalty to God, then you have to take two steps. The first step, remind the king that God is the true king. This is called the prophetic critique. And then you have to willingly suffer the consequences. And the consequences might be uh, you lose your property, you might be thrown in jail, or you might actually be killed. Jana referenced the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. These men refused to bow down because it meant they had to be disloyalty to, disloyal to the true king, the true God and they had to suffer the consequences. They didn't know what was going to happen when they got thrown into the fiery furnace. And they even said, God might not save us from the furnace, but it doesn't matter. We're not going to bow down to this idol. Then we come to the New Testament, and we encounter Jesus, of course, and Jesus' main message. Jesus' main message was that God's rule over people and the nations had arrived in himself. One of the things he says over and over again is the kingdom of God is at hand because he was there. The kingdom of God, not the democracy of God. <laughs> Note that. It's the kingdom of God. Um, then we have Christ's death and resurrection and we, we come full circle. The large narrative now from Genesis 1 is complete. We have a human who bears God's image and rule perfectly. Of course, not everyone could recognize that. Then Jesus sends out his disciples to spread this good news, but not everyone likes the good news. There is opposition. And we read that in the book of Acts, various reasons why people opposed good news. And then finally, at no point ever do you read that believers are called to rebel with violence against the state. God will take care of that. He is taking care of that in his time. So that's, that's the biblical narrative. That's the short form. Okay. <laughs> then we come to the Roman Empire and believers now living in this Roman Empire. Well, what did they have to deal with? So I have a quote here from Larry Hurtado. Gives us an idea of what it was like. Early Christianity lacked any of the things that typically... typically comprised religion in the Roman world. They had no shrines or temple, 
no statues, no altar, no sacrifices, and no priesthood. This was totally bizarre. In a culture saturated with temples and gods, to deny the gods of worship was effectively to deny their reality. The withdrawal of Christians from their veneration of the gods in public and family environments was seen as abrupt, arbitrary, unjustified, and deeply worrying. All the gods governed various arenas of human life, and one's family, city, and national gods were guardians against plague, fire, and disaster. Refusal to participate in their worship would have been taken as disloyalty to all and disregard for the welfare of one's neighbors. On top of that, we have Caesar, who wanted to be worshipped as well. To refuse to worship the Roman gods and Caesar himself meant that Christians would be accused of committing treason against the state, which could mean torture and death. So that's what's going on here. So when Peter comes along now and says, despite all of that, all that pressure and obvious corruption, Peter commands the believers to submit to the government. Caesar, submit to Caesar, this sadistic individual who goes and watches people fight to the death for entertainment. Submit to him. Now, it's tempting, and we do this sometimes, we look at a passage like this, or a verse, or command, and we say, well, you know, it only is, that's only one time in the entire New Testament, so we can kind of ignore that. Well, it's not true. We've got multiple passages where we read the same thing. Okay, Romans chapter 13. We read there that it is God who establishes authority, and those who oppose authority oppose God. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're to pray for people in authority. Really? I don't know how I can pray for that idiot. <laughs> okay, uh, well, let's see. Um, and then Timothy chapter 3, obey authority and malign no one. Malign. You mean like talk in a negative way about somebody? Call them names? Oh. So, I think we're fooling ourselves if we believe we can just ignore these passages. And we have this right to ignore them. You know, it's a democracy. I have the right to do what I want. Hmm, I don't know. People debate all the time. It gets overwhelming. And one of the things they like to debate is, you know, who are you supposed to vote for? Which party is the right party? It gets, it gets pretty insane watching people debate these things because it's not always rational. <laughs> it often has nothing to do with that. 
And we can debate ourselves, and we can be debating until we're blue in the face. But we have to ask ourselves, how much of this actually matters? What party you're supporting? How much does it matter to the big picture? And when I say big picture, we're talking God's plan. God's plan for salvation for all of humanity. Not a reduction of the tax burden for the middle class. That maybe isn't as important. We may have reservations about following Peter's command here. We may have reasons why we don't think we need to. But we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Um, Do I want to glorify God or not? Do I want to see my neighbor saved or not? Will I act in faith and submit to the government or not? Or will I only submit if it perfectly aligns with my perspective, with my experience, with my agenda, and my complete understanding? If that happens, I'll submit. That's never going to happen. And if that's the caveat before you are going to submit, um, you're, you're off, you're not following what Peter is saying here. Now, I found this little neat nugget in my daughter's study Bible. Okay, like here we go. This is perfect. Submission is functional, relational, reciprocal, and universal. If I had to write a 2,000 word essay, I would just basically, that's it. That's my structure right there. Um, And I'm good. I could probably at least get a B plus from that. It's a great summary. Problem is, it doesn't really mean very much if our hearts are not prepared to live it out. To live it as Christ lived it and to place ourselves under authority. Now, if you're still not convinced, check out what Peter does in verse 16. This is what he says. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but as slaves of God. Slaves. Some translations render it servants but that's a mistranslation. The word in Greek is slaves. This is hard language, and it's not popular language. People don't like talking about slaves. We'd rather be told, you know, we're God's friend, and we're part of the brotherhood, and we're we're in God's family. God's slaves? God's slaves. Hard as we might try to maintain control of all aspects of our life, it is an illusion. At some point in my life, I don't know when this happened, I I became a Bob Dylan fan. 
Not sure why. Um, he, he's not really that great of a singer. In fact, he's, <laughs> he, he almost doesn't even sing. He just sort of breathes out of his nose in this weird way. Um, when I got to Bible college, I, you know, when I went when in high school, no one else was, was into Bob Dylan. It wasn't like I was massively into him, but I did like it. And then I got to Bible college and I found out there was this whole collection of people who were also fans. And we would sit around and we, we had the, the record player, if you remember the record player, going around and around, listening to LPs of Bob Dylan and having a good time. The songwriting was, was the reason. Okay? The, the man could write songs just almost on, off the top of his head. Incredibly powerful lyrics, which is why he's been around forever. It's not because of his voice. Well, in 1979, he released this song. And I'm, I'm not mistaken, he even won a Grammy for it. Normally, I would do this with a guitar and a harmonica, so you just have to bear with me for a second here. Um, I'm going to try it a cappella. This is the part I was nervous about. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> you may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I did it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've been preparing this sermon for a while uh, and I have to admit something or a few things I guess um, preparing this sermon hasn't been exactly what I envisioned sometimes when you prepare a sermon you're like oh this makes sense I'll just talk about this doesn't necessarily affect you that much it should of course um, this one has I would say that preparing this has like has been a punch to the gut because I realized how much I have failed. I have failed in praying for the leaders of my country, my province, my city, my health district, my school division. I failed in that. I have been guilty of maligning leaders that have been lawfully put in place to lead us. I have, <laughs> I have found myself yelling at the radio, listening to them talk, finding out what they did. You can ask my kids. Left wing, right wing, centrist, doesn't matter. I'm still yelling. Because I know better. 
right? Everyone knows that. I know better than them. <laughs> Some of you maybe have had this experience of getting angry listening to the government. Uh, I recently encountered a new author, thanks to Mabel, um, getting this book by Timothy Keller. Some of you might be familiar with him. Um, I'd recommend any of his books. Uh, you can listen to his sermons, you can listen to his debates, his interviews uh, on the internet, on YouTube. Someone asked him about submission. He said, well, submission, it's wrestling. Submission is wrestling. And he told a story that there's a five-year-old boy playing with his favorite toy, this truck. Loved his truck. And as he was playing, disaster struck, the wheel fell off. His truck is broken now. And this boy could not stop crying. He's inconsolable. But it's okay, his dad ran in, he had a letter and a check, and he said, look what came in the mail. You have inherited one million dollars. Does the little boy say, oh, good, okay, that takes care of everything. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is not how he responds. He just keeps crying. It doesn't mean anything to him. He can't see the significance of what his dad just told him. Can't see it. He doesn't have the right perspective. Well, we're all like this little boy. We, we lose perspective. This is our perspective. This is what we see. We need new eyes, we need new hearts, we need new minds, we need everything renewed. And we live in a culture, oh boy, our culture puts so much emphasis on personal rights. So much so that we have to ask ourselves, how much is that affecting how we see things, how we behave? Because I can tell you, it's giving us a distorted view when the first thing we think of is our personal rights. It's not how God would have us view submission. So, I said I was going to come back to the masks. I mentioned the masks earlier. I've got, we've all got our masks here. So many opinions about the masks. As a teacher, I have to wear one every day. My students have to wear one. And on top of that, I'm supposed to clean the desks that the students sit in. Every hour, the bell rings, and I get a new batch of students, and before they can come in, I have to make sure the desks are clean. I did a little calculation. I, I like calculations. Um, <laughs> this is not the exact number, but I said... 
Starting from September till now, how many times have I had to spray a desk and wipe it down? (laughs) The number I came up with is 7,800 times. It might be bigger than that because sometimes they go in the lab and then I have to clean all the lab desks too. Um, That seems crazy. And I'm sure many of you have similar stories of how you've had to adapt. And some would say that this is enough now. We've done enough. It's time to make a stand. Enough already. I have some relatives in Saskatoon. I, I was, they were telling me about some people they know who refuse to wear the masks in church. They just will not do it. Nothing you can say can change their mind. And when you ask them directly, well, what? Like, why not? Oh, well, it says in Acts chapter 5, I must obey God rather than men. Oh, Of course. Why didn't I see that before? Somehow, in the midst of all this chaos, I missed all the verses that forbid the wearing of masks during a pandemic because doing so could result in the loss of eternal salvation. They must be in here somewhere. No, they're not. There is no such verse. But it is very convenient to quote Acts chapter 5 whenever we don't want to comply. Oh, I must obey God. But it's confusing because that was Acts chapter 5. That's Peter talking. Peter says we must obey God rather than men. Then Peter writes this letter and says we must submit to the government. Well, which Peter are we supposed to listen to? Turns out, both. (laughs) Is that possible? There are lines that we are not supposed to cross. It's true. And if you look historically at God's people and how they've interacted with the rulers of the times, there are certain things that they just would not do. We forbid you of preaching Jesus in the streets. Paul Bunyan. Many of you have heard of him. You've probably read his book. He refused to acknowledge or obey that order, and he got thrown in jail for years. He had to preach Jesus in the streets. In the Old Testament, again, we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They honored the government a lot, and they were respected, and they showed respect. But eventually, the time came where they just could not go any farther. Daniel, you can't pray to the true God. Well, he wouldn't comply to that. So there are times, there are times where we have to say no. I can't follow what the government is telling me to do. 
Peter was aware of this tension, and yet he still gives this command. The government will always be corrupt to some degree. There will always be some level of corruption. I sometimes wonder how long it will be before it becomes illegal to purchase a Bible. Maybe it will never happen in Canada. I have no, I have no idea. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, you can have this Bible and you can have it in your churches, but you know, you have to skip over certain sections. You just can't, you can't read or teach from those parts of the Bible. They're too offensive. Sodom and Gomorrah, no, that's out. Romans chapter 1, gone. Can you just talk about, you know, love everyone? Just, just talk about that. That's it. <laughs> too offensive. Um, well, here's the real issue, actually. This, this book... It's all offensive. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes the human heart uncomfortable. It strips away the lies that we, we like to tell ourselves. We are constantly trying to fool ourselves with lies. This book confronts that. It presents truth. We're messed up, we're greedy, we're, t- we're twisted. Who wants to hear that? Can't we just skip over those sections? <laughs> we're really good at putting on a good face. Everything's fine with me. We need saving. We can't save ourselves. People rail against this whole idea. And if we admit it, we do the same thing. We do not want to give up total control. We do not want to give up our decision-making. We do not want to be slaves. We do not want to give all that up to God. We do not want to do what other people tell us to do. We struggle. We hesitate. But we have to, again, think God's desire is for us to follow him and to obey. Are we willing to believe that doing what we are commanded to do by the law is actually going to help his kingdom, help his kingdom expand? We may think, well, what difference does it make? Well, we're we're questioning the truth of scripture. Are we willing to believe what we are reading? Are we willing to appear weak? That's part of the problem sometimes. We appear weak when we submit. Is our pride preventing us from doing what God wants us to do? So this brings us to the key takeaway this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. Submission is about the heart. We submit our whole selves to the Holy Spirit so that we are changed in our attitude and our minds into Christ-likeness. Our pride fights this 
tooth and nail. It fights. Our intellect may even object. But God, the God of the universe, is looking for a community of faith. He's always looked for a community of faith. That hasn't changed. If we find ourselves reluctant to listen to Peter's words here, how will we respond when he brings up submission again a few verses later? And then again in chapter 3 and again in chapter 5. The truth is we can't just do this. We can't just say, I'm, gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to submit. I'm going to force myself to do it. No, no, we need, we need the Holy Spirit to change us. We need the humility of Christ. We need to get on our knees and beg for that. And again, like I said, this was a punch to the gut. I'm like, oof, how much am I doing that? We need a heart change. And the heart change will only come when we lay ourselves down and let God's spirit change us. And even the greatest government program ever created could not accomplish that. It's, it's a little bizarre to think that when Paul wrote most of the New Testament, he was in jail for being a Christian. And what he wrote to the churches was not, come break me out of jail. It wasn't attack Caesar. It wasn't take down the Roman guards. What did Paul say? I've been sharing the gospel with as many people in Caesar's household as I can. Continue in your faith. Continue to share the gospel. Paul, in jail, in Roman jail, Paul writes this. Church, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved ones, put on compassionate hearts, kindness and humility, put on meekness and patience, bearing with one another. If someone has a complaint against someone else, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. And above all, church, put on, on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Just imagining someone in jail writing this. I'm just imagining that. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And this is his conclusion. He says this, and whatever you do, in word, in deed, whatever, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. I like the way Scott put it, the condition of the heart. Before we go this morning, let's pray together. Oh, Father, um, this morning has been so many things. 
It's been a roller coaster. You're calling us to come to the cross. You're coming us to lay down our rights. You're calling us to submit and to die, to become slaves to righteousness. You're calling us to give up our freedom. You're calling us, Lord, to follow people that don't believe in you, to live in a world that doesn't believe in you, to submit to people that don't believe in you. And Lord Jesus, you've called us to love them. You've called me and my wife and my kids. You've called us, Lord, this church family, to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. So would that become the condition of our hearts? Lord, we celebrate with Jana as she gets baptized and she lays down her life. She, in the ultimate form of submission, lays it all down and says, it's no longer me about my freedoms, but what's most fun for me, what's best for me, what serves me the greatest. And Jesus, it's all for you. I would die for you, go to jail for you, give up every freedom that I have for you because all of my life is for you. Lord, would that be the attitude of my heart? Would I have that kind of kindness and patience and humility? Lord, we need your Holy Spirit inside of our church, inside of our hearts, Jesus. Because we know that evil is after us, wants us to be full of anger and resentment and bitterness and pride oh, and self-centeredness. Lord, it's inside of me. Lord Jesus, I need your spirit to change my heart and make me brand new over and over. Fill me, Lord Jesus. When people encounter followers of you, would they encounter light in a dark place? Would they encounter servants and slaves who've laid down everything to pick up their cross and walk? People that instead of complaining about the government, pray for him. And people ask, why do you pray for him? Because my king laid down all of his rights and freedoms. I follow him. One day I'm going to meet him and be with him and live with him forever. Lord Jesus, dismiss us with your blessing and with your calling into this mission. Equip your church for righteousness to make disciples, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you go find Jana later and congratulate her and ask her to hear the rest of her story. But thank you to all of you to coming this morning and worshiping. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.